on Twitch, Q Sports Talk, and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Well, this is Mary Jane's last dance. It's going to be Tom Brady's last dance. Tomorrow. From the On the Block text line, unfortunately, New England's run is done. Brady cannot carry a team with mediocre talent anymore. Hope I'm wrong. But I'm not. She grew up in you can text the show. 288-0644, the On the Block text line. Tall and she grew up right with the- Let's get to it, shall we? Hot take time, baby. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Yes, Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. There is a team not in the playoffs, yet we talk about them as if they are a team that has the success of the New England Patriots, that has won the Super Bowls, that has had the success that Belichick and Brady have, and that, of course, is the Dallas Cowboys. Now, this lined up perfectly with something I wanted to talk about anyway, but then I discovered these stats and these numbers here. So I think you know the team I'm talking about here. There's there's two separate Dallas Cowboys things I need to get to. One, what in the world? were you doing with Jason Garrett? Three meetings to come to this conclusion. And have you seen all these press releases this week? We have really gotten so politically correct that you can't even say the word fired anymore, right? We are moving away from spending more time with our family. Uh, The organization's going in a different direction. Like they're, they're afraid to, like you fired your coach. Like, it's okay. We understand what you're doing here, but that's a whole different topic for a different day. That Cowboys thing is amazing. You know it was time to move on. Why did it take three meetings? And maybe they were deciding if Garrett was going to be a part of the organization in a different way. And God bless Jerry Jones. The man is loyal to a fault in a way here. But whoever the new coach of the Cowboys is going to be, you look at the two most successful coaches the Cowboys have had under Jerry Jones, Jimmy Johnson, Bill Parcells, What do those two names have in common? Not only were they damn good coaches, they had control. The great Bill Parcells line, if I'm going to cook the meal, i got to buy the groceries. Whoever the new coach is, and there's a a, a lot of great names out there that could step right in. You've got a great quarterback in Dak Prescott, the best running back in football, arguably in Zeke, the best offensive line in football, a good defense. Like, a good coach has that team 10 wins, NFC East title, and a legit Super Bowl contender next year. That was what was missing from Dallas, a good coach. A good coach would have got that team to where they were, to where they needed to be. Okay, then there's the charade of let's have four meetings and figure this out and really talk it out, and and Jerry Jones' indecisiveness there. And people hear all this talk about the Cowboys, and they're like, why are you talking so much about the Cowboys? And I get that frustration in a way because their performance on the field in recent years does not match the discussion they get. You know what it does, though? Saw these two stats today. Number one, these are the five most watched games in the National Football League this year. So put aside bias, put aside what you think about the Cowboys and the attention that they get. These are just the five most watched NFL football games this year. Number one, Buffalo at Dallas, Thanksgiving, 32 million viewers. That's the highest-rated Thanksgiving game in over 20 years. 
Number two, Dallas at New England, week 12 on Fox, 29 million viewers. Number three was Kansas City at New England. That had 28.3 million viewers. Number four was Chicago at Detroit, also a Thanksgiving game. 27 million viewers. Number five, Dallas at Philly, week 16. The Dallas Cowboys were the top draw of the NFL season, attendance-wise, too. Now, that's unfair in a way because Jerry World holds 100,000 people. But they averaged 90,000 fans per game, which is 91% of the stadium capacity. That's number one in the National Football League. You know what's number two, by the way, when you compare this by attendance versus the average attendance versus capacity? The Jets. The New York Jets. God bless them. They were there. And the Jets were one of the better teams in the NFL, kind of sneakily in the second half of the season. 78,523, that's 95% of capacity. Then it goes Green Bay, Denver, and the Giants. Say what about Giants and Jets fans. They show up because those tickets ain't cheap, and they're going to use them one way or the other. So why do the Dallas Cowboys get so much discussion when they barely made a blip on the radar screen the past few years? That's why. Ratings. People watch the Cowboys. They want to hear about the Cowboys. They want to discuss the Cowboys. On a national level, why does first take and all these shows and people just kind of moan and groan? What have they done? Because you watch it and you consume it, and they are the ultimate love-hate team. One of the reasons that Bill's Cowboys game was so highly rated, of course, because America's team was playing it. The Bills make me wanna I mean, that just goes without saying. But, no, one of the big reasons why, Dallas was losing, and losing badly. And it's Thanksgiving, and everybody's watching football, and that helps. But even on top of that, it was the highest-rated Thanksgiving game in over 20 years. Why? The love-hate thing. The Cowboys are in that world of the New York Yankees, Notre Dame football, the Cowboys, Duke basketball. Love-hate always draws ratings, and television always wants them. And that's why. That's the answer. That's hot. So if you don't want to hear about them anymore, don't watch them. But we know that's not going to happen. Now, we brought this up briefly on the show yesterday, and I, I am all for this. This, this. this just makes me happy. So, NBA All-Star voting is going on now, and if there is something that I have just learned to not care about, it is All-Star voting, exhibition games, and caring about exhibition games. And while the baseball All-Star game, the fact that they handed home field advantage for such a long time, they don't do this anymore, but the fact that for a, a stretch of, what was that, 15 years or so, that they gave... Home field advantage in your most important event, your championship event to the team that won an exhibition game in the middle of the year was just a farce. And thankfully, they don't do that anymore. But exhibition games are what they are. All-star games are what they are. I don't care who plays in them. The fans want to see X, Y, and Z. Great. They voted for it. That's fine with me. And if this happens, it'll make me happy. So Taco Fall is he is behind the following five names in the front court voting so far. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Pascal Siakam, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum. Five legit all-stars by performance on the court. Taco Fall is nowhere near that conversation, but the Celtics fans have embraced Taco. Like Taco is like the Mookie Jones of Boston. 
For so long, Jim Beheim was implored to put Mookie in. Whether Mookie deserved to be in or not. God bless the Mook man. I when when Seth brought up some of my favorite topics to discuss on the show, I, I how dare I leave out the Mook man and, and those great discussions over the years. But there's always those fan favorites that you, you want to see get in the game. So the Celtics and their fans have kind of taken this on. They've embraced putting in the seven foot six taco fall. Who doesn't want to see that at the All-Star game? A fun middle-of-the-year game that most of these players ended up skipping. There's no defense played. Every year it's like 180 to 178, and this is what this should be all about. There have been All-Star, I remember, in, what was it, 1988? Oakland A's fans, as a joke, voted Terry Steinbach. Going old school on here, but they voted him into the All-Star game. He became the MVP. These guys embrace these moments because it's their time, and they just find a way to take advantage of the situation. So if you don't want Taco Fall in the NBA All-Star game, you know what else you don't want in your life? You don't want fun! You don't want fun in your life! That's hot. Go sit in your miserable corner. How dare you? How dare you doubt the mighty Taco? Which is also a great uh, taco chain. We just gave him a free plug. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, I would not do this, but the question was posed to me, and I think it's interesting by this realm. Chase Young officially declared for the NFL draft today. Not a, not a surprise by any stretch of the imagination. Look, Cincinnati Bengals had the first pick in the NFL draft, and if you're going to build in the National Football League, you need a quarterback to do that. And they'd be, I think, really dumb not to take Joe Burrow. But if there's a player on the defensive side of the ball that is going to make you think about it, that is going to at least make you ponder this over the next few months and is the definition of a good problem to have, and that's not often in Cincinnati, it is Chase Young. Chase Young is one of the most dynamic defensive players that come out of college and put a mark on it. Five years, ten years, recent memory. There's been some really good defensive players. But Chase Young... According to everybody that does this stuff, and according to my two eyeballs when I watched Ohio State football this year, is a special pass-rushing talent. Because if there's somebody that can... And I brought up J.J. Watt earlier in the show. If you have a quarterback, but in a close number two, if you can rush the passer, you can turn around a team like that. Look, we saw this here, the Dwight Franey year. When Syracuse went 10-3 in 2001, they had Dwight Freeney to thank for that. I've never seen a defensive player have the impact that he did, not only at the college level, but on almost any team. Set the NCAA record at the time for sacks and was just such a force that you rarely see a defensive player have that kind of impact. So if I'm Cincinnati, I'm at least, I want it all, I got four months to think about this. I want it all laid out. I want the scenarios. I want to take my time with this. You're going to take Joe Burrow, and you should, but Chase Young's going to make you think about it. And the Washington Redskins have the number two pick, and they're going to get a player who, a defense player can turn around that team, but Ron Rivera's a defensive coach, and Jack Del Rio is their defensive coordinator, and they're going to make him a star. He'd be a star anywhere he'd go, but they're going to make him 
a right out of the gate, big time impact star in the National Football League. Speaking of the National Football League, you guys aware of the uh, the playoffs coming up tomorrow and a certain red, white, and blue squad? The Bills make me wanna ready to. Beat the Houston Texans. We will do that later in the show. The NFL Blitz to come. I want to get more into Syracuse and Notre Dame coming up. We'll do the blind side later in the program. I believe we're going to have a blind side debut today. Because Seth Goldberg is on the road, currently on the way to the high school basketball game he'll be calling for us tonight. So we're going to have uh, a rookie in the studio doing the blind side. Oh, yeah, get ready for that. A lot to come in hour number two. Hang in there. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. To quote the great Jim Mora. Playoffs? Oh, yeah. It's time. Are you ready? Wild Car Weekend. Is upon us, kids. And we want you to cash in. We want you to know everything you need to know about these four playoff games coming up this weekend. Maybe you make a little stop at the casino. Many great locations throughout central New York at the Lounge of Caesar Sports. Pull a little wager on these games coming up this weekend. Well, Uncle Brent is here to help. It is time for the NFL Blitz. Let's do this. We start... With the Buffalo Bills. Your Buffalo Bills. America's team. Heading for Houston where the Texans are minus two and a half. The over-under is 43. The Buffalo Bills have lost five straight playoff games. The last time that the Bills won a playoff game was in 1995. The same year that Gangster's Paradise by Coolio topped the Billboard charts. Power in the money, money in the power. Minute after minute, hour after hour, baby. Josh Allen. America's quarterback. He's 10-6-1 against the spread in his career as an underdog with one of the non-covers coming just a week ago and he was pulled in the first quarter. 14 of those 17 games did go under the total. As for Houston, 1-5-1 against the spread as a favorite this season. Now, both teams both have running quarterbacks. Josh Allen, third. Sean Watson, fourth. Among the top quarterbacks in rushing yards this season. Here's the difference. The Texans have allowed the second-most yards per rush to opposing quarterbacks this season at 5.6. The Bills have allowed the fewest at 2.8 yards. J.J. Watt is back for the Texans. He has five sacks in six career playoff games. Look for this matchup. Deshaun Watson against the Bills' zone coverage. They have a zone-heavy defense playing at 54% of defensive snaps. Now, you can pretty much dictate... If Houston's going to win this game, if Will Fuller plays, and it's not looking good if he does, with Will Fuller on the field, the Texans average 296 passing yards per game. You cut that in half when he's not there, 158.3 passing yards per game. Injured his groin in Week 16. He is doubtful for this matchup. The Bills have allowed zero touchdowns and have five interceptions on throws of 20-plus yards down the field this season. They are the only team to not allow a touchdown on such throws this season. Houston loves to go deep, and without Will Fuller, that's going to be a lot more difficult 
in this matchup. The Texans' secondary looks like it has an exploitable area with the team's top two cornerbacks, Bradley Roby and Jonathan Joseph, battling hamstring injuries at this point. Biggest matchup to watch in this game, though, DeAndre Hopkins and Tredavious White, two of the best players at their positions in the National Football League. We go to New England, where Tennessee visits. Will the Patriots dynasty die on Saturday night? New England is minus five. The over-under is 44. The Patriots playing on Wild Card Weekend for the first time since 2009. Tom Brady has more playoff victories with 30 than each of the 11 other projected starting quarterbacks in the playoffs combined at 26. The Titans are coming in hot. That's hot. They've won seven of their final ten to earn their second playoff berth in three seasons. Their first under Mike Vrabel. New England's loss to Miami in the regular season finale. Put it in the wild card round, as we mentioned, for the first time since 2009, losing 33-14. They needed that matchup. They needed that win. Didn't get it. Titans, offense, I can't believe I've been saying this, but I have is averaging just under 7 yards per play since Ryan Tannehill moved into the starting lineup in Week 7. That's the best in the NFL in that span. They've averaged 406 yards of total offense with Tannehill as their starter. That's third in the NFL behind Dallas and Tampa Bay, and those two teams didn't make the postseason. Tannehill not only led the NFL with a career-best 117.5 passer rating, Derrick Henry led the NFL with 1,540 yards rushing, and they have a 1,000-yard receiver in rookie A.J. Brown, who was second in the NFL at 20 yards per catch. Tennessee led the NFL with nine pass plays of 50 or more yards. Will they air it out? Will they take shots on this New England defense? Brown has four touchdown catches of at least 50 yards this season, the Titans were fourth in the league with 121 big plays. Those are runs of 10 or more yards and passing plays of 20 or more. Now listen, Belichick and Brady are still there. They're 6-0 and against the spread at Gillette against Tannehill, winning each of those games by at least seven points. And I think this is actually the biggest factor in this game, and it's something that Mike Vrabel has been telling his team all week. The Patriots are plus 21 in turnover differential during this season. That led the NFL. However, New England's defense and special teams have not created a turnover in each of the past two games. New England, 18-1 to odds to win the Super Bowl. It was as long as 20-1 to earlier this week. Those are the biggest odds New England has had to win at any point this decade and the longest odds entering the postseason in the Belichick-Brady era. We move to Sunday, where the NFC takes over. Minnesota at New Orleans. The Saints are minus eight. The over-under is 50. The last time these teams met in the playoffs two years ago, you may remember this one. The Minneapolis Miracle. The 61-yard touchdown. Stephon Diggs, final play of the game. Vikings win. New Orleans is 11-3 against the spread since week three. That is the best mark in the National Football League. The Saints went 12-2 in their final 14 games. A fluky loss to Atlanta and a shootout loss to the Niners. Remember that 48-46 game, one of the best games in the NFL this year? The Saints finished fourth overall in efficiency. 
But you know what? The Vikings weren't far behind. They were seventh in the NFL, joining the Ravens and Niners as one of three teams to finish in the top ten in both offensive and defensive efficiency. And all those teams are in the playoffs. The Saints, boy, Drew Brees, playing some of his best football of his career at age 40. 15 touchdowns, zero interceptions in December. He finished the regular season with a career-best passer rating of 116.3. That's despite missing five games earlier in the season because of thumb surgery. They have the NFL's highest-scoring offense since Week 10. They're hot from Week 10 on, going into the playoffs, playing their best football on the offensive side of the ball. 36 points per game. Kirk Cousins... We're all wondering about Kirk in a big spot. 0-15 outright, 113-1 against the spread, against teams that finished with at least 12 wins in a season. The outright winning percentage is the worst by any quarterback in the Super Bowl era. You know the thing about the Saints, too? They quietly have the NFL's number one run defense over the past two seasons, but Dalvin Cook is back. For Minnesota, 14 games this year, 1,135 yards, 13 touchdowns while catching 53 passes for over 500 yards. Seattle's at Philly. Seahawks minus one and a half. The over-under is 45. Under the current playoff format, that's since 1990, a 9-7 or worse team has hosted an 11-5 or or better team eight times in the wildcard round. You know what happened? The home team went 6-2 in those games, including 6-1-1 against the spread, despite being the underdog. Philly is 5-0 outright as a playoff home underdog in the Super Bowl era, winning all but one of those games by at least 13 points. Now, in the Seahawks' 17-9 win over the Eagles just a few weeks ago, Week 12, their defensive line dominated, and they shut down the Eagles' offense. Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson are 3-0 against Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. And that dates back to 2016, all recent games. The Eagles have been underdogs in five playoff games under Doug Peterson. They've won four of those and beaten the spread in all five. Now, the Eagles get this one after winning four straight games. They get their second division title in three years. They're coming in hot. Seattle's stumbling in. They lost two games to end the regular season. Would have clinched the NFC West. Would have got the home game this weekend had they won in Week 17. But in a grudge match against the Niners, they lost 26-21. to On the bright side, the Seahawks were a great road team this year. 7-1. Russell Wilson is 4-0 against the Eagles, including win in Seattle over the eventual Super Bowl champions in December of 2017 when Philly came in at 10-1. However... Wilson's been sacked 26 times in the past seven games, including six times by the Eagles in the first matchup. Not surprisingly, his passer rating has gone down in that stretch to just 90.7. His yards per attempt right now is just 7.2 yards. Now, despite employing MVP caliber quarterback play, few teams have embraced the run like Seattle. Third in rushing attempts, but Philly is fifth. Eagles guard Brandon Brooks is out with a shoulder injury. Tackle Lane Johnson is questionable for Sunday. This has been a banged-up team all year, as you know. So the right side of that line is going to be manned by backups. The Seahawks, though, are second to last in sacks this season at 28. 
Jadavion Clowney trying to help that for Seattle. First matchup, Willie decided by turnovers. Five takeaways for Seattle in that first game as well. An ugly 17-9 game as we brought up. This is amazing to say, even with the injury notes and knowing that it was Nick Foles that won the you know the Super Bowl for the Eagles, but this is Carson Wentz's first playoff game. And he might not have Zach Ertz in this one. As a matter of fact, the 2019 Eagles are the sixth division winner since the NFL merger in 1970. They have zero wide receivers gain 500 yards. Did not have a 500-yard receiver this year. The Eagles started nine different receivers during the regular season. Their defense has been much better at home this year. They're eighth in DVOA than on the road when they were 21st in the National Football League this season. That's the NFL Blitz. Everything you need to know about those four playoff games. We got room for you to talk about those playoff games. Talk some Syracuse basketball with us at 437-7644. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line at 288-0644. The chat on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash QSportsTalk. All that to come. Got a half about a half hour to play with here on the show. When we return, a blindside debut. We got a rookie in studio. Let's see how that goes. Stay tuned.